So for anyone else who's thinking, oh, this is only temporary, it's not, it's forever. And it's forever in some way or another, because even if we had a magic vaccine today, there's going to be emotional scarring from Corona and habit changing that's never going to go back to where it was. So I guess what I'm saying is accept that it's happened and now face your demons and start fighting them one by one. As we speak today to Salvatore Malatesta on Dirty Linen, the Premier's press conference is still going. I think that's about two hours. It might be a record, but it has been a very big announcement. Victoria today has heard our roadmap out of, out of COVID into COVID normal. And it's a bit gutting. It's a long road. It's a slow road. It's a steady road. Salvatore, what do you reckon about today's announcement? Oh, look, no surprises, Danny, I guess. I mean, it's in keeping with what I suspected might be the case. Um, and it's going to be uh, a, a more difficult one to contain, I think, as the sun keeps shining and people keep being enclosed in spaces. Yeah, that's true. It's certainly, the outdoors certainly does call as spring kicks in more and more. Um, but I guess, yeah, as it has been throughout this, Victorians are being asked to, yeah, do the right thing, get the case numbers down, and then hopefully if we can get it right, then we only, yeah, then once we're out, we're out, we're out for good. That's the, that's the idea. That's I, I hope you're right. Well, I hope I'm right too, and it's it's not my idea. I'm, um, yeah, I'm just, I guess, uh, summarising what the Premier and the Chief Health Officers has Chief Health Officer has said, and I don't know. It's just such a hard one for the community, and as we know, it's a particularly well. It's it's hard for lots of different industries, um, but it is, of course, as we speak to hospitality people here and lovers, it's incredibly difficult for the hospitality industry to cope with. Certainly a lot of um, anguish, angst and disappointment in the community this afternoon. I indeed. I mean, uh, I think uh, I think Victoria was pretty happy with herself early on and then, of course, you know, we know what's happened and, and now we've been dealing with it and uh, we feel, I, I feel like we're the naughty state in a, in a sense or the unlucky state. Um, and I think of Melbourne, and perhaps this is, you know, me being a bit parochial, but I think of Melbourne as the heart and soul of, you know, the Epicurean centre of Australia. So I feel like there's a, a deeper sense of sadness, and if that's possible, um, amongst food and beverage people in Melbourne. Yeah, I think you're right. And Sal, I didn't introduce you properly, but you are an, a hospitality innovator in Melbourne. So anybody that's enjoyed Melbourne cafes over the past, what, 15 years um, has been the beneficiary of the way that you've brought coffee culture to our city through many different venues. Um uh, particularly, you know, I think of Sonali in the back streets of South Melbourne, such an iconic destination for Melbourne coffee lovers, lovers of great cafe food. And, of course, you've, um, yeah, you're a wholesaler as well. So uh, do you want to just maybe give us a little summary of your business and then we'll talk about what you've been doing through the, through the pandemic? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, it's a, it's a uh, you know, it's a, it's a question I would have answered very differently, you know, six months ago because it was pretty simple to understand then where our heart and soul our dna i mean the sort of the raison d'etre the um you know is that we're a, we're a coffee saucer roaster and supplier that's that's what we do we're a national wholesale coffee business and 
Um, the language of yesteryear was specialty coffee or third wave coffee or, you know, single origin, single estate, micro lot focused coffee purveyors, any one of those words, but essentially, you know, bringing coffee with a scoring of 85 or more plus to the market. That was a pioneering work we did in the early days and that's still in our DNA. Um, and at that point, we were, we were very much a micro roastery in that we had an in-shop roaster and we had some wholesale customers and, and, a, and a venue that um, last time we had a not a pandemic but a kind of market correction, the GFC Sonali uh, was actually the benefactor of because we, we lifted the bar from cafe food to restaurant quality and so people sparing some change went down instead of up and that was great. So in a sense, I think that, I can't remember, I think it was a good food guide award for best food for or a couple of one of those things years ago. So we, so we're all, so, it, so there's two parts to the business. There's a wholesale business and there's a, you know, cafe, we like to say a restaurant serving breakfast um, rather than a, than a cafe. And the third part, which is, um, was always there, but was not inconsequential, but was more kind of, you know, something we were sort of having a stab at was our online platform which is a b2c uh, offering uh, focusing on um, products or well, up until corona or focusing on products that we uh, make and develop and that can extend from obviously our coffee wholesaling uh, coffee beans to you know our power range or tea selections or whatever mm. well i think uh, we can talk about how things have changed over the past six months but i think i was first aware of some of the new stuff you were doing through corona where, when you came up with screens very early in the piece and suddenly there was sanitizer. In fact, I bought some of your sanitizer when, when no one could get any and um, dropped some over to my parents and uh, then you're doing masks and I guess you just, I mean, yeah, there just seemed to be so many ideas and so much innovation. So can, can you talk about what, you know, what the kind of, thinking that you did in March and how you came up with all these different ideas and innovations? Yeah, of course, um, Jane. I mean, look, the, the truth is I, I want to qualify this with I completely understand there are a lot of people in a lot of pain and and, and who have been kicked pretty hard by the coroner. So I, I tell my story um, with the qualification that um, through a number of uh, different moons aligning and an uh, enormous amount of good luck, we got a couple of things right. And one of those things was, um, so I always say, you know, I, I turned 48 in a couple of weeks and I was sort of not, not the end of my career, but the sort of relaxing part of my career and handing over the, the, you know, the ship to the, some of the other younger guys to run. So for the last sort of year, I've been, I've been investing a lot in our executive team and I've got a, three individuals who have all been groomed for, you know, CEO ship or whatever. And uh, around about January, um, my best friend, who uh, his name is Nick Duncan, who owns a, a sort of a industrial chemist business called Hydrochem, um, and they look after cooling towers, and um, they look after. He's Australia's legendaires expert. So he rang me. He rang me. I think about January third or something, and I think that was about a week after there was some noise of from Wuhan. I mean, until that point, no one even sort of really knew what Wuhan was or what where it was or what it, what it was. But then he said to me, one of his clients had ordered a large amount of sanitizer from him. And I said to him, you know, well, great. Why are you telling me? And he said, well, look, I'm an industrial chemist. You know, I'm not really a, not really a brand guy or B2C guy. Why don't we go halves and we work something out? And I said, sure, I'm happy to give it a go. It's interesting. 
in fact that probably underpins this idea that I've had of moving into cosmetics so yeah let's get let's get it going and so we fulfilled that order um, uh, Danny and it was to you know um, you could probably work it out but it was to Melbourne's gaming complex or entertainment complex and I sort of I sort of sat back and I thought to myself what why why what's going on there so maybe there's maybe there's a direct line there from you know uh, you know from powers to be maybe they know something we don't know so I rang Nick and I said you know those leftover bottles I'm going to put them online and see what happens and he said well you're a coffee business I'm like yeah we're a coffee business but people we're a sort of trusted brand so I'm just going to just going to see what happens so I put them online and I drove from his factory to Brayside to where I live in South Yarra and in the 26 minute drive all 1500 units sold out what so so I rang him and I said, I think, I think we're onto something here. So we doubled down really quickly and we managed to get a couple of the moons aligned pretty fast. And the most important one at the time was ethanol getting supply. And then the second one was the import. So, you know, we essentially just locked away a local bottle manufacturer and signed him up for, you know, on that day. And same with labels and so forth. And then when Corona hit Australia pretty hard, I had a crew of 72 guys who were involved in sourcing roasting shipping driving making coffee that i could just move across to sanitizer production so we did that and we also had our facebook ads pre-approved before facebook banned ppe ads so as you say there was a period in time which i say was riding the world's largest you know hand sanitizer wave uh, that lasts probably about three weeks or just slightly over where I was working 90 hours a week and I couldn't quite work out how to make things faster or move things faster. It was a crazy, crazy time. It's so crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. But, but Danny, what, what I learned from that process was that um, maybe we could sell other things. And so, um, and ironically, we'd only upgraded the Shopify Plus six months ago. So I didn't even know what Shopify was, let alone Shopify Plus, which is obviously the commercial version of Shopify and had we not done that our website would have crashed yeah as you say moons and stars aligning in that regard so did you quickly think oh what else can I put on this platform yes I mean so then um so I'm the the whole stage is a bit of a blur but whenever we were told we could no longer serve customers um in in the restaurant space um so whatever stage that one's first round time we essentially makeshift did it made a takeaway section at Sonale and and turned that into a general store so you know very basic at this point you know you walk in to get a cup of coffee takeaway and you're buying some eggs and bread and bacon and bits and pieces but as as um I kept studying the um sort of consumer patterns and people were and our and our our customers in particular who, who seem to have a natural aversion to large supermarkets Whatever we sort of put out, they bought, you know, um, you know, whether it was toilet paper or, or butter or whatever. And they, and I sort of thought about it because I always tend to build things that I would go to, and I don't, I don't actually ever go to a supermarket. Um, and if I do, it's online, um, and it's very rarely. But I always tend to go to smaller independents, um, just how my brain works, or I go to Pran or South Melbourne markets or whatever. So I, I said, well. If I was getting a takeaway coffee in the morning and someone made it really easy for me, I would also buy the things that were in the queue to the, to the <clears throat> coffee machine. So we kept at, kept adding things and adding things. So as we're adding things and realizing that people are buying the things that we're adding, 
then um, we got, you know, again, fortuitous, like the company that makes the hemp and copper masks. And I'd say this is what I mean about friendship equity, just years of doing business and people liking you. So a friend of mine, Simon Digby, who's a actually he's a DJ, um, he's my age, but he was a you know a sort of house DJ back in the eighties. He said to me he was making these masks locally, whether you know I wanted to do it with him, and I said, sure, you know, but um, but you know, just so you know, if we if they take off, that we'll sell lots of them. So we we need another option at the same time. Another friend of mine who's the CEO of a company called Ecofiber. They make hemp and copper masks, which are, are their, I mean, their main business is uh, CBD, THC, full-spectrum oil. And the, and with the sort of bits and pieces, they make hemp protein and, you know, and this 3D knitting. So we got the masks involved, and, of course, they went crazy. And so I thought, you know what, we're, we're now, without realising it, we're a tech business, we're an online business. We're like the Dean DeLuca um, or aspirationally Dan DeLuca back uh, of sort of and we can we can give it a go so then we started adding silly things you know like a 98 Dom and you know 21 year old whiskey from Japan and that kind of thing and they started selling and so I thought well instead of instead of this being the the bridge to get us through Corona I think this is the new Saint Ali it's going to be sort of a you know, platform of curated provisions from local and international artisans whom we like, trust and have a friendship with. It's so interesting. And it's so interesting to say that you feel like you're a tech company, not a coffee business, because it's a sim- similar, I guess, with Shane D'Elia and Providor. I mean, I, I, he's obviously still a hospitality business as well, but I think with Providor, it's 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 the, it's the tech first, isn't it? And it's, um, yeah, it's a digital world. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, in fact, I've, we're on Providor as, a, as one of the suppliers and Shane's a good friend. I've been watching what he's doing. I'm super impressed. I think the guy's a legend and everything he's done is amazing. Um, and I know that he's um, outsourced the uh, logistics to it. We haven't done that. We've kept that in-house and we might have to at some point. But we've got, you know, today we had 15 drivers on the road. And that's and that's also, there's a tech tech component to that. I mean, you need transport management software and wholesale management software and you know, luckily for us, we're living in a world where you can have you know, cheap plugins to sort of life hack it, but because otherwise that software is a tens of millions of dollars. You know, if you've got a DHL platform, you're probably using Paragon and it's like, you know, a $100 million software setup or something, whereas we're sort of plugging in various apps and life hacking it. But what we've also learned, what we've also learned though, is that um, the logistics component, which so I say we're a tech company and a logistics company because... In fact, the logistics part has become even more important because as Australia Post and other third-party couriers got completely, you know, uh, you know rammed with volume um, and corona hit some of their processing centres, um, they became difficult. And not, and not, there's no blame here, but, I mean, they, you know, people would order a bag of coffee and it would be two and a half weeks, you know, circling the country, going in full circle before getting to them. So I said to my team, we've just got to do this ourselves and we've got to make a, um, you know, we've got to make a pledge and the pledge is we promise you same day, next day or money back guarantee at the end of the third day. And they all said, you're crazy. I'm like, well, that's that's what we've got to do because we're not going to be able to use third-party carriers because they're not coping with their own volumes. That's what we did. And, and as I made that announcement, we got busier again. So I'm sitting here now honestly exhausted uh, thinking I need a couple of key recruits, one to run logistics because it's actually quite complicated and one to, you know, um, up the ante on our tech knowledge because, yeah, I don't know, 
to anywhere they're familiar with it, but there are so many platforms to, it's very omni-channel these days talking to people. We'll have a chatbot conversation, a DM conversation, a TikTok, a Twitter, a Facebook, a Instagram. I mean, I can't barely keep up and sometimes I find the same people are talking on all channels. Um, you know, and so uh, for an odd dog like me to learn that stuff has been quite a challenge, but good fun. Wow. I mean, yeah, there's so many things I want to ask you, but I think one of them is what, what do you enjoy about doing business? Do you like these these problems and solving them in innovative ways? Like is that what is, if that is that what gets you excited or is it about looking after customers or yeah, what is it that um that makes you want to do all this stuff? Yeah, that's it. That's um you know, I mean, I I'm default creative director of our business. I mean, we've got a creative team and we have a creative director, but I'm heavily involved and the stuff that I love the most is and that's one of my other sort of, you know, uh, throwaway lines that I use all the time with my team, creativity is the answer to everything, right? And and I think um, we've always got to force ourselves to to think and to challenge. And and I always say we're only as good as last week as well. So, you know, there's always someone um, wanting to, you know, eat your pie. And, or, I don't know if you've read that book or take your cheese or whatever, if you know the analogy you're making. So... The bit, the, the bit that I enjoy the most is um, being presented with a problem and resolving um, the riddle, right? I mean, if I can resolve the riddle, uh, and I've got you know, over two and a half decades of retail intuition and psychology, um, so I, I think that's the bit I enjoy most. But but obviously in that, in that is like, and I think this is one of the great things that even Shane's done with Providor, in that is customer service, it seems to be often a forgotten trait in a lot of these platforms. So like people expect courier companies to kick their box to the front door and, you know, and be late. Well, it's just, you know, it's just not when you've been brought up in hospitality, uh, you know, as a, you know, I was waitering at 15 um, and you just apply some of that old hospitality service to other platforms and, you know, you volunteer to, you'll ring the customer before you get to their front door to tell them that their box is on its way and where would they like it and all that kind of thing. That's like that's like augmenting because it's such low-hanging fruit in, in, in courier service because we're also used to being screamed at by the driver who's under pressure to do the next drop. And so he rings the doorbell, gives you one second to run down three flights of stairs, before, you know, that kind of thing. And so and so for me, if, we're pro- if we just provide good, good hospo service to other platforms, which is why I'm on the actual chatbot myself and some of the questions I get, for example, I've learned a lot about our customers. Like I had a question yesterday, someone said to me, how much praline and uh, nougat is in the coffee? And I said, I was sort of like, what? I was like, what? I was like, I didn't really understand the question. I'm like, I'm not sure what you mean. And um, the person, um, you know, sent the link to me from our website and they would flavor notes. And I was like, oh no, they're, they're flavor notes. And she's like, what are flavor notes? And I'm like, oh, uh, flavor notes are descriptors by our, you know, coffee roasters and what the coffee will taste like. There is no pain, no gain. She goes, oh, great, I'm allergic, right? So so we make assumptions that people know what flavor notes are. We also make assumptions that we send out our bags of coffee with a, a, a roast date stamp on them. Now, as a specialty coffee provider, I assume everyone knows it's a roast date, right? But you have, you have people on chatbot saying, I received my coffee today and it's it's it passed its use by date. 
and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, what, what do you mean? And it's like, well, today is the 6th of September and it says the 3rd of September. I'm like, oh no, that's the roast date. What do you mean the roast date? I'm like, oh, that's the date that it was roasted on. That's what we celebrate as a special coffee and so on. And so, you know, I feel kind of ironically, you know, being give, I've been given a gift by Corona to get to understand my customer base again because I made assumptions about them 15 years ago, but 15 years ago I was in the coalface. And 15 years later, people were asking what, why, how much nougat praline is in the coffee. And I'm like, what? I have no idea what you so, so, So from that perspective, um, you know, enjoying leading from the ground up, like even doing deliveries today. Um, you know, I did deliveries for Father's Day just to give a hand for three hours and, and watching people's faces, um, you know, when I'm doing deliveries. It's, it, I guess it's almost the same reaction. Well, it's the same reaction I had when I had... Um, Mini Mishima delivered by Mini Mishima, and he was at my front door, and I was like, "What? What is this? Is you know?" So it's quite cool, right? So loving it. It's so interesting because I think a lot of a lot of times people equate tech with uh, distancing and that it's not a real connection, but you are able to make real connections um, through different technology platforms, and of course through that experience of taking food to somebody at home, it can be quite intimate and personal, and and yeah, the, and the data, you know, regardless of whether it, it just the, the the actual like you know number crunchy sort of data that can also teach you so much about your customers, what they like, what they what they like to put together. Together, um, which are things that I'm sure you'll be able to take back into brick and mortar businesses in lots of different ways. Hundred uh, percent. And and you know what's interesting is um, a lot of the a lot of the guys in the sort of um, uh, Facebook ad or Google ad or you know whatever space um, tend to be pretty young because you know they're early natives, early na native adopters to the technology. But even you know when you build a Facebook ad um, and you make assumptions about um, what it is that people who bought a Hoover might, might want to drink or whatever the case might be. Um, having sort of been a restaurateur, retailer, front-facing customer service person my entire life, I also have you know a couple of decades or more of assumptions about what people might want when they order an X and Y. And, and I certainly understand my age group um, really well. Uh, and so I think being able to overlay tech with that understanding um, is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty exponential. Um, so you you say creativity is the answer to every problem. So let's apply some creativity to the situation that Melbourne finds itself in or Victoria finds itself in now. And as we know, stage four in only a very slightly changed form is extended and yeah, we need to get cases down so that we can open. So thinking about many of the businesses around us in Melbourne and Victoria, can you apply your creative mind to the extension of lockdown and give people some ideas to get through? Of course. So, I mean, um, I've said this before uh, in, in another interview, but I think it's even more more pertinent now. And, um, and so I went through the different phases I, you know, I don't remember all of them, but you know, you've got denial, anger, and finally acceptance, and um, whatever those phases are called. You know, I'm probably talking about Danny because you're you're a smart cookie. But I go through those phases really quickly. So, you know, I think you know, day one, week one of understanding what was ahead of us. I went from, you know, this can't be true to this is completely and utterly fucked to 
okay, well, this is what it is. Let's get on with it. Um, and I call, I rallied the troops and I said, um, you know, you've, and it was literally to 300 staff. And I said, you've got to, um, we've got to accept today that it's never going to be the same again. I mean, even if, if and when we get through this, it won't be the same. You know, things will, would have changed. And so uh, stop whinging, get on with it, and and let's just think our way out of this, right? Um, and so I think with with a lot of people, and I think hospitality may be guilty of this, I don't know, I don't want to make assumptions about different segments, but there's been, you know, an assumption that oh, it's okay, it's only going to be six weeks, or it's okay, it's only going to be three months, or it's okay, and then everything will go back to normal whatever normal was and even I was talking to some I had a in Zoom dinner play last night with two friends of mine who were both one's a QC and one's a partner in a law firm and, and so you know smart cookies and and she was saying to me how she she thought oh in three months time everything will be back to normal you know um, and that's not true you know um, and so the guys who made the, the guys who accepted it really early and pivoted really early are now um, benefiting the fruits of those pivots, right? So for anyone else who's thinking, um, oh, this is only temporary, it's not, it's forever. And it's forever in some way or another because even if we had a magic vaccine today, um, there's going to be emotional scarring from corona and habit changing that's happened that's never going to go back to where it was. And, the, you know, I don't want to be the sort of, um, you know, I don't want to say it's too loud because I hope it doesn't happen, but there also might be another mutation. So I guess what I'm saying is accept that it's happened and now face your demons and start fighting them one by one. So therefore, um, you know, the Provador platform is an excellent example. Is I mean, Shane's platform's kept a lot of restaurants that otherwise would be hitting the wall alive. Um, you know, um, a lot of the... You know, good bars that we've got, like the Everly and the Pearl, are making their own cocktails and shipping them out. Um, and you know, I mean, I've got a little thing I'm doing with Tony Nicolini from he he was the founder of Doc and now owns Italian Artisans. You know, and you know they they got hit pretty hard, and we we're we're buying a chunk of pizza from every week on our platform, and and so on and so on and so on. So I I would have never if you said to me a year ago hey, do you see yourself selling sanitizer? I'd be like, what? I mean, and Danny, before Corona, I didn't know what hand sanitizer really was. Like, we never used it at home. I'd never seen it, really. Had I thought about it, I would have said, oh, yeah, of course I've used it when I visited my mother in the cancer ward. It's that thing on the door, right, that hospital. But it wasn't part of my life or my rhetoric or my vocab. And now I can tell you everything about hand sanitizer, uh, you know. So it's a bit like... Um, I mean, in terms of business advice, because as you know, for some of these people, um, you know, the government's going to stop printing money at some point. Um, it seems like it's you know, given us a further growth until the end of March. But you know, one of the first things I did was, you know, uh, save cash on a professional and personal level as well. Like I may just stop spending. I thought, well, I don't know how long this is going to go for. So, um, you know, let's just make sure we've got plenty of reserves and headroom to navigate the storm. So a lot of people who don't make the acceptance really quickly um, are sort of stuck in a situation of it getting further and further away from them. So I don't know if you want to use a metaphor, it's a bit like getting fit. You can dream about getting fit or you can just start by one push-up at a time and eventually, 
and eventually you do 100 push-ups, right? Which, which Danny, I don't know if you follow me on social, but one of the things I've done through this period is uh, got super fit and as a discipline um, because I found myself, if I wasn't doing that, I was going to drink a bottle of wine for breakfast, lunch and dinner <laughs> and I needed to short-circuit that You're pretty right. bloody quickly. Yeah, well, yeah, I do follow you on social, but I haven't seen that. And I think the algorithm hasn't let me in on your fitness plan. So I'm going to have to go and start proactively liking some posts so I can get inspired. Because my, my um, I think I've said this before on my podcast, but my plan at the start of all this was to be able to do a plank for a minute. And I still can't even do that. Um, I haven't quite had wine for breakfast, but I certainly haven't uh, been. Tony, Tony <laughs> I've lost I've lost, 21 kilo, I've lost 21 kilos. Really? Wow. I'm, the, I'm down the... Tw- 12% body fat, yeah, it went crazy. I decided I was going to, you know, take all the spare time that I had not working, um, which was, you know, f- which is not very much because we've been working all the time and we set up a gym at home and we just we just, we just, just smashed it out. Right, interesting. I, I think, um, so just tracking back for people, so the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. I think a lot of people have gone through all those that maelstrom of emotions and and activity and strategy and rethinking but I feel like people now I think as much as they could accept a certain amount of it now it's I think it's that um you know that the light at the tunnel just keeps getting a little bit further away and I feel like people are so depleted that it's hard for somebody now to muster up the energy to I guess you know rethink what they do or um yeah find the energy yet another pivot um and I think also you know it goes back to what you said at the start you know we love Melbourne so much we love regional Victoria so much we do feel like it's um it's special here and I think people feel like uh you know that perhaps we're losing something and it's going to be so hard to get it back again like what do you think the landscape is going to be for for Melbourne and regional Victoria in terms of dining uh, as we do enter eventually a COVID normal? Um, look, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Um, everyone I know in hospitality who's any goods guilty of this. And we're, we're all addicted to the drug, right? So, I mean, if I had applied my arts and skill set to a different industry, um, I may have, I may be earning Alassian or, you know, Google. Um, I just happen to apply my arts to hospitality because what I love doing. And... Um, and, and that's my, I can't think of a good hospitality operator uh, who's impassioned about what they do. So um, uh, uh, they, there'll be, uh, at the aftermath of this, yes, there'll be people who have thrown the towel forever. Um, and hopefully for those people, they've found a new mojo and a new uh, trigger that makes them happy. But there'll be, the, the, there'll be a new, new um, fresh blood coming through who'll love hospo or the old guard will come back and remit themselves. So I know, for example, um, you know, Raymond Capaldi, a chef that's reinvented himself um, and he makes some pretty bloody delicious pies that we've got on our website even. And they're, you know, I, I just had one for lunch actually. And uh, that's an example of reinvention, right? So um, I guess getting back to my messaging, it's really, you know, my, my mother's passed, but I used to say to her, um, she, when I we were talking about old age and and you know, people her peers would whinge about getting old and she would always remind them that the alternative is worse you know it's death you know um, 
And so it's a bit like we can, you know, you've just you've just got no choice really. You just got to you've just got to suck it up and start thinking. So, I mean, we can we can go through examples if you like, if you want to talk about specific things. But um, I, I think at some point, um, I mean, I've, you know, at some point you've got to accept that um, the new world order, uh, at least in Melbourne Metro, is going to involve some piece of technology. Uh, if you're, um, you know, a destination rural you know, farm or something that's potentially different, but you've got to be able to communicate to your audience. Yeah, well, I think you have given us a, a bunch of, of good examples, so which is great. And I think my other question was around, you know, if you're not a business owner but you're an employee, um, what kind of, I guess, mindset or practical strategies could you think of for people who work in hospitality? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll answer that question by addressing career hospitality people rather than the transients you know like people people who are committed to who are committed to the craft um you know i think today even more than ever you need to be genuinely committed to the craft because you know the golden era um of hospo you know hasn't hospitality hasn't been shaken just by the corona i mean it's been a it's been an evolving you know sort of I think once we lost fine dining as a concept, for example, I mean, you know, I remember, I remember conversations and articles about the, you know, the loss of fine dining at the time. But I also remember one of my most joyous restaurant moments was going to the old Mieta's, um, you know, uh, and when Mieta O'Donnell, bless her soul, who died in a car accident, used to own Mieta's and she'd sit at a table with a glass of Burgundy and, you know, overlook her restaurant and you'd have you know, white glove service at one o'clock in the morning in order of steak and fritz. I mean, that's just beautiful, right? <laughs> and I used to, yes. having worked in hospital, I would finish my, my shift and go and eat there, you know, twice a week. And and I loved that, right? And and so, you know, that was as soon as we got rid of the tablecloths and made dining more accessible, which, which you know, obviously has some, some upside as, as well as downside. And, you know, but we've lost the art, haven't we? Like, I mean, the La Restaurant, at the Sofitel or whatever it's called now was sort of was you know where that brat pack of guys you know Kurt, Curtis Stone and Shannon Bennett and even Shane I think Shane Delia and George Calambaros and all those guys all sort of came from they're all gone I mean where, where do you go for one of those experiences now I mean Jacques Ramon's shut and and all the sort of fine dines owned by banks or investors or private equity or shit like that I mean it's just a different spot and different place so I I love hospitality, but I love that hospitality. You know, I, I love the Dan Hunters of the world who make their bread from scratch from grains they grow. You know, and that and that is a commitment. Um, that that that's like a sort of almost like a yoga practice or something. You know, you 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 know if you're on that journey. I mean, the other young guy I've been watching who I'm very impressed with. Uh, is it Josh Nillard, the fish guy? Yeah, Josh Nyland in Sydney. Yeah, he seems yeah. to have an uncompromising commitment to you know all things fishery, and it's that it's that stuff. Uh, that's the stuff that makes champions, right? And that's a, that's a little conversation I say to my kids all the time as well. You know, when they uh, my my son who's quite quite athletic and he he's actually got the natural ability and and all the all the bits and pieces he needs to kind of succeed at any sport. But what he needs is the mindset and the mindset uh, of, you know, and he was a gymnast. So pre-corona, he was doing 18 hours a week uh, gymnastics and uh, 
uh, you know, he was exhausted all the time and very good. And of course, Corona came, and then he didn't have the mojo. And that and that comes from that comes as a mind body, as a mind spirit thing, not a body thing. So, I guess if you're going to go in the hospital and you're going to, you know, and you, you, I wouldn't get into hospitality if making a lot of money is your focus. I mean, it can happen. There, it does happen, but it's not. It's not an easy way to make money. It's a hard way to make money. You've got to love it, and the people that love it get the most out of it, and the people that sort of fall into it tend to hate it at some point. And I say that everyone's got a limited number of service days in them, and then when that service day pops, you've got to get out before you, you know, tell someone to bugger off. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting what you're saying. I think you know, as regards fine dining, I reckon over 20 years or so of being a food journalist, I've written about five stories about the death of fine dining with about four years in between them. So it's a, it's been it's it's dead, but somehow it's never it's never all the way dead. Like I guess it just morphs and it, and it changes. And as much as we don't have those restaurants with those those incredible training grounds like the restaurant that you spoke about, we still do have places that um, provide it perhaps in, in different forms. I'm thinking of Lake House and, and certainly places like Bray where they apply that sort of excellence and that obsession but in a different form. And it, it makes me even think of you with a chatbot. I mean, that is that is like extreme hospitality but via chatbot. So it, I guess there's different ways of applying this passion, isn't there? Yeah, sure, of course. And, and in fact, those those two examples you give, both Bray and, and Lake House, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, so uh, um, Ella Zaka, you know, uh, well, she she's the matriarch. I mean, she's my hero in lots of ways. Um, and she's been committed to the craft for, I don't know, I think she must be 70 now. I mean, if she's listening to this, she'll probably kill me. But she's got to be over 60, surely. I don't know. Anyway, she looks, can't quite tell how old she is, but she's. <laughs> I'm not going to venture a guess, but she's a bloody legend. And um, anyone who hasn't listened to episode one of this podcast needs to go back and listen to Ella. She's amazing. Yeah, she's a bloody legend. And 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 Dan, you know, I've got a great story about him. He he um, he's obviously he was a big deal before Bray, and um, he had a profile and all that kind of stuff. And he came into, and uh, unfortunately, um, still is a case. Sometimes a lot of chefs take the money when it comes to coffee contracts um, because, you know, it's just easy um, rather than thinking mindfully about their coffee partner. But uh, Dan, Dan came to Sonali one day and he, I didn't know who he was. I mean, I didn't recognise him rather. And, uh, you know, he ordered like I don't know, a million coffees. And I was like, who's this guy? Why is he, why is he, drink, why is he drinking so much coffee? And, uh, you know, like that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, well. And then, you know, a week later he said, would we, you know, be his coffee partner? And and we are the Bray's coffee partner. Actually, we're Lake House's coffee partner too. Oh, there you go. There you go. And um, and he's he's a he's so committed to um, the craft that I I would say, and I've not said this very often publicly, but I I think our best barista head head to head with his best barista at Bray, you could probably not tell the difference. <gasps> I mean, it's it's when you have a coffee at a, a restaurant, normally it's terrible. And at Bray, it's delicious. Wow. Um, and, you know, he does it He does it justice. But what I mean is he's so committed to every aspect of his, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's done soil science study, you know, like he's that guy, right? Now, that that, that still exists, you know, but I'm, I'm sort of more talking about those restaurants which um, it's more food assembly and it all comes from a central kitchen. You know, that is sort of fast food luxury and um uh and what i mean by that it's sort of just even even if even if it's as good 
know, and there's some some you know some room to disagree there. I just it, food assembly isn't cooking, you know, um, it's something else, and it's and restauranting is something else. Like you know, you, don't, you can be a good restaurateur and have average food, um, so you can create a mojo in a restaurant um, that people want to go to, and the food's okay, right? Um, and so it depends whether restaurants, you know, re restaurateur driven or, or chef driven is depending what tends to be better. And when those two come together, when front of house or, um, and, and, and back of house come together. In fact, I think my best dining experience in my entire life, um, and you know, this is going to sound cliche, but it's true, was Rene Renzepi's Noma. Do you know, do you know, we went to Noma, so I went to Noma with my family. I just want really clear on this at the time the kids were. They must have been, I don't know, 12, 10 and 8 or something like that, right? So these were kids. You know, they weren't, you know, they weren't going to smash bottles of Boucherlet or anything, right? And <laughs> we, we, so like, you know, as a per average spend head, I, I made sure we kept up with ordering some good wine. But, um, but we rocked up and, you know, and um, I remember this. So Renee came out and all the chefs were lined up. And Renee said, welcome to, welcome to Noma. And then as I walked in and, you know, all the chefs and service staff said, welcome to Noma, and we sat down and my kids turned to me and said, they think you're a king. <laughs> and I was like, and I, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not a king, kids. That's, that's just hospitality done well. And then everyone who served that table knew something about me. When I was in Melbourne, I came to St. Ali and I had the so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and Renee came out and he would, you know, I think out of the 18 courses, he personally served five of them. And then he took us to the to the fermentation kitchens in the bank, uh, back of house, and he played fizz, fizzball table soccer with my kids, and that's their <laughs> most memorable dining experience ever. That's hospitality. Yeah. Wow. I got shivers. Yeah, and that, and that, I mean, you know, I've got photos. In fact, we've got a photo I'm staring at now of Renee coming out talking to my two boys who were then, you know, ten and eight. And they remember that. That's the only restaurant experience I remember in the world. You know, like we've been to lots of restaurants, but they, and that's like a commitment to hospital. That's the service I want. So even even locally, you know, I mean, something like Francois. You know, Francois's menu hasn't changed in thirty seven years or something, right? It's just good French bistro food. Um, but the way they do service there for me. Um, ticks my boxes, you know. I feel like I'm going somewhere where I'm cared for. And so um, I hope that comes back, by the way. I have no idea what he's doing. But um, but that's that's a hospitality that I'd like to see. And unfortunately, with a sort of, I don't know if it's chains or groups, or I think groups is probably the word. Once you, once you have groups and you bring private equity into groups, that's just a different thing. And, and it's not the thing that I like as much, you know. And, you know, it is what it is. I guess we've got to hope for some some courage in doing people just wanting to create people that can't help but be hospitality people and that they will do what Melbourne does, which is to create fantastic small, medium, small, whatever, hospitality venues, but that they're personal and that hopefully they've got that um, that great balance between front of house and back of house and they can create the magic, get our city back shining and golden again. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, I have no doubt. We're a resilient lot. We'll get there. I reckon we're going to get there, right, Sal? We're going to get there, aren't we? 100%. Yeah. 
You heard it, Melbourne. You heard it, Victoria. Salvatore Malatesta said it is so. Sal, I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat to us at Dirty Linen. It's so great to have your perspective. Creativity is the answer and Melbourne is going to smash it. We will get there, guys. Thank you so much, Sal, for sharing your time and your wisdom today. Thanks for having me, Jenny, and I I look forward to uh, seeing you again for a glass of wine and stay safe. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.